when you start looking at these seven churches and, and you, uh, you study them, all the geography, all the history behind them, they all start to kind of go together. And I hope that the way that I've laid it out for you, I hope that you'll be able to kind of keep these things separate and realize what went on at, at which, which specific church. And I've got notes if anybody wants, to, wants me to send those to you. Um, as always, we, we record all these sermons on the podcast. Um, if you don't know how to access that podcast, let one of us know and we can show you how to do that. Um, everybody's got a phone. Everybody can access these podcasts, and it's a really good tool, especially as we go through the book of Revelation to try and keep all of this straight. Um, as we go from part to part to part, I think we've got, what, eight, nine parts? Um, and this is part four today, so we've still got a lot of ground to cover, so I hope you'll keep up um, as we go over the next month. Like we mentioned this morning, context is everything when it comes to the book of Revelation. This morning, we looked at the context of this, this great tribulation that's about to happen to these seven churches here in Revelation. And overall, um, Christ is writing or has John write to these seven churches and say, you better fix some things if you're going to hope to endure the persecution that's coming your way. And this is a persecution that's coming soon. He says, I will, I'll be there shortly. I'll, I'll be there to, to see this shortly, and I hope you'll endure the persecution uh, that you're going to have to endure or that you're going to go through. And this morning, we looked at this spectrum of sin, um, and, and we looked at, at five different churches. We looked at five this morning. We're going to look at two this afternoon. Uh, so this afternoon should be a little bit shorter than uh, the one this morning. The first church we looked at was Smyrna, and Smyrna uh, was a town that was doing, or was a city that was doing things correctly. Uh, Jesus didn't have any correction for this church, and he offered them a lot of praise. But he, with that praise, he also said, I want to caution you that there's a lot of tribulation, a lot of persecution that's headed your way, and you need to make sure that you're ready to endure it. Then we looked at Ephesus, and Ephesus was doing a lot of things right. They were enduring persecution. They were loving. They were patient. Um, but one thing that, that happened at Ephesus is they had lost their first love. They had forgotten about the first love and the first passion, the fervor they had for Christ initially, and they needed to get back to that. We looked at Thyatira. Thyatira um, is the church that tolerated sin. And if they were going to endure the persecution that was headed their way, they needed to rid themselves of that toleration. They needed to get rid of Jezebel, um, and they needed to quit tolerating sin. And we looked at Pergamum. Their toleration of sin had led them to where they were, they were participating in sin. And Christ said, if you're going to endure this persecution and be able to get through that, you need to quit participating in sin. And then lastly, lastly we look at, looked at Laodicea. And this was the indifferent church, the lukewarm church, the apathetic church, the church that said, I just don't care anymore. Um, they made the statement of, I need nothing. That was their attitude towards Christ, that, that he didn't offer them anything. Um, and in all actuality, he was everything, and he needed to be everything to them. Um, but Christ called them poor, wretched, blind, pitiable. Um, and if they were going to escape this, this tribulation that was headed their way, they needed to get back to focusing on Christ um, and get rid of this arrogant attitude that they, that they had there. And this afternoon, we're going to look at Sardis and Philadelphia. And these are the ch two churches that are actually the closest together. They're only separated by about 26 miles. But in all actuality, and in their spiritual faith, they couldn't be any more uh, separated. They were so far apart um, in their Christianity. Um, and I hope that you'll enjoy the study this afternoon. We're going to talk about dead or alive. 
And these are two different churches. One was dead and one was alive. Uh, the church at Sardis suffered from a lot of, a lot of things. And the church at Philadelphia, uh, we're going to see, was a church that was enduring, that, that Christ had a lot of love for, um, and they were a church that we would consider alive. And this, mo- this afternoon, I want you to categorize yourself just like I had you categorize yourself this morning. Are you a dead Christian or are you a li- an alive Christian? Because um, you're sitting in the pews of one of these two churches, and I want you to figure out which one of those uh, you, that you're attending. So Sardis, the spiritually dead church, and just like Pergamum, uh, the church there at per- or the city there at Pergamum had an acropolis up top. It was really a two-leveled city. The church here at Sardis was the same way, and you can see this the the plains that this picture was taken from, and at the very top there. That was the upper level of the city um, at the time. And so the most important things, the most important people lived at the top part of the city. And then down low, um, um, it was also surrounded by this huge wall um, that surrounded the city. Um, the, the top part that I have circled up there, that's about 900 feet above the rest of the city. Um, and if anyone were um, ever to get to the top, they would find the most prized possessions there. Um, in this church here at Sardis. And then down below, I mentioned that wall. This is, uh, on the right side is the remnants of kind of the leftover part of that wall. Most of that's been destroyed at this time. The one on the left, though, is the, an artist's depiction of what the entrance to this city would look like in this massive wall, about 35 feet tall, um, and I think it was 20 to 30 feet wide at some points, too. So just a really, really massive wall um, that was protecting this city. The city was very uh, strong. It was known to be strong. Um, and it was at one point called impossible to scale. Um, and it, just like anything, you think about the Titanic, it's unsinkable. You think about the Twin Towers, it's unbreakable. And if someone calls something like, like this, it's, it's impenetrable. You better start counting the days until something happens. And that's exactly what happened here. Um, this impenetrable city was actually scaled two different times um, over a course of several hundred years, um, and it became known as the city of failure because this was supposed to be the strongest military, the strongest city as far as a people not being able to break into it and get to the top of the Acropolis there at the top of the mountain, but it happened twice. And so people knew it as the downfall of military strength and as the downfall of, of great kings that lived here and great rulers. William Ramsey, who's an archaeologist, I read a lot of his work as I was preparing for this, this series. He said, it was the city whose name was almost synonymous with pretension unjustified, promise unfulfilled, appearance without reality, confidence that heralded ruin, reputed an impregnable fortress. It had repeatedly fallen short of its reputation and ruined those who trusted in it. And so this city became known as a dead city. Um, people, when they thought of Sardis, this is what they thought of, just someone who let their, their uh, guard down and their city was captured and they were considered dead. And so keep that in mind as we see what Christ had to say about the church here at Sardis. He says, "...unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead." And so just like this city this city who was supposed to be this impregnable, impregnable fortress and impenetrable um, was actually, I mean, it was known for failure. And just like the church here, they had this reputation for being alive, but they're actually dead. 
And that's what Christ has to say about them. And uh, Christ, um, on, on the outside, people probably looked at this church and thought, they're doing a lot of right things. They're doing a lot of things right. They're probably loving people correctly. But Christ, who can see their motives and the reasons behind their actions, he's the one who calls them spiritually dead. And this isn't the first time that someone was called dead um, in the New Testament. Look at 1 Timothy 5, verse 5 and 6. Uh, she who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. And so this self-indulgent widow um, who thinks nothing but of herself, she's compared to this zombie, this, this person who's considered alive, but, but is, she's dead even while she lives. And so long before black ops and uh, zombie land and walking dead and all that, that same illustration is being used by Paul as he writes this letter to Timothy here. And, you know, a zombie, uh, they can go through the motions, they can walk around, um, but that doesn't mean that they're alive. That doesn't mean that they're um, active and thriving. And uh, that's what the church needs to be. But that was the problem here at Sardis, is they weren't being that. And this reminds me, this language kind of reminds me of what Christ had to say about some of his contemporaries at the time in Matthew chapter 23. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you are also out, outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And so I did a lot of research on what whitewashing was and what it meant. Um, and whitewashed tombs, when you start looking at pictures, they can, they can be very beautiful. And that's what Christ was saying. These whitewashed tombs, they can be outwardly very beautiful. Um, and I learned that this whitewashing, whitewashed appearance doesn't just happen. It's something that every year they would go to these tombs and they would whitewash them and they would etch these tombs, this stone on top of these tombs with an acid. Uh, most of the time it was lime and they would pour this on top of the stone, um, creating this whitewashed appearance. And this isn't the best picture. I mean, we don't whitewash things anymore in that same way. Um, but this is a tomb that, that has some remnants of, of being whitewashed. But tombs were whitewashed, not for the appearance of being whitewashed or to have this white appearance. But every year, people would travel uh, to Jerusalem, and, and a lot of times they would travel over people's uh, land. And unlike today where we have cemeteries and graveyards and designated spaces for uh, dead bodies, back then it was just if, if your family member died, you put them on your land wherever that was. And so in, in the Old Testament, you could not touch a dead body. You were deemed unclean if you were to come into contact with a dead body. And so people didn't want to do that. And so every year, right before the big festivals, they would whitewash these tombs so that people would be able to identify this is a tomb, this is a grave, this is, there's a dead body right here. Um, so in effect, um, whitewashing was kind of like us putting up a sign that says, do not touch, danger, stay away, keep away. And in the same sense, when Christ is talking to these, these Pharisees, he's saying, you're the same way. You're whitewashed, you're a whitewashed sepulcher, whitewashed tomb. People need to stay away from you. And so I think they would know what that meant. The church at Sardis was, being, was the same way. Outwardly, they appeared beautiful. They appeared strong and, and active and functioning. But on the inside, they were full of, of dead bodies, just like these tombs were. 
He goes on to say uh, in the next verse, Christ says, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die for I've not found your works complete in the sight of my God. He makes that statement of strengthen what remains. And that word strengthen is in the Greek is set fast or harden. And when I think about setting something fast or hardening something, I think about concrete. And, and you think about a fence that's falling over um, and a fence, I mean, the purpose of it is to keep something in or keep something out. And if it's falling over, it can't complete its function. Um, and so if something's falling over and you need to set it fast and you need to harden it up, you would pour quickcrete or concrete and you dig a hole and you pour that in and it would set that post up and harden up. Think about a basketball goal the same way. There's no point in having a basketball goal that's leaning over. You have to pour concrete in it to harden it, to set it fast, to keep it upright. And that's what Christ is is telling these people, you need to to strengthen up your faith. You need to harden your faith and set your faith uh, fast on me. And he tells them, strengthen what remains and is about to die. And so that tells me they had a little life left. They weren't just completely dead, but they had some faith. And so Christ tells them to strengthen what you do have. Um, And so I ask you this afternoon, what do you have in your life that needs to be strengthened? Where are you failing? Um, What would you consider dead um, that you need to strengthen? What's dead in your life? Is it your benevolence? You know, this morning we passed plates and, and you put money in the tray is that just an afterthought? Is that something that, that just whatever's in your wallet that morning, you're just tossing that cash in? Or is this something that you give a lot of thought to? Um, do you give a minimal amount or do you give an amount that just, it hurts just a little bit? Because I think that's, that's something that we need to be thinking about. What about your fellowship? Are you sprinting out of the door as soon as amen is said? Or are you showing up early and visiting with people? Are you attending fellowship? Are you eating lunch with us when we have... Uh, when we have uh, our afternoon lunches together, um, there's all kinds of fellowship opportunities that we try and, and create just so we can, as a church family, grow together and, and get to be involved in each other's lives. What about Bible studies? And, and you think about, I mean, there's all kinds of Bible studies that go on. We had the teacher training last year. Uh, there's youth studies. There's women's studies. Are you actively participating in these? Is this something that you're involved in uh, to of course, grow in your knowledge, but also just to get to know your peer group and, and kind of grow closer together um, as ladies, as, as high schoolers or men or whatever the case is. And are you excited to be there when these opportunities come around and you get to go to these events? Are you excited to do that? Are you preparing for that? Or is it just something that you just, just put some lackadaisical effort into and just show up to? I hope that as you go, attend these things that you'll make that a big priority uh, in your life, and what about worship? Is your worship dead? And and uh, you know, outwardly we we harp on songs all the time because that's what people can see whenever uh, we're in the assembly. You look over and so and so is not singing. Well, you can outwardly see that, um, and we pick on that all the time. But what about maybe prayer life? And as as someone up here is leading a prayer, are you falling asleep? We're, we're probably all guilty at some point of that. Um, or are you actively engaged and, and following along with what they say? And at the end of that prayer, are you giving a big amen because you agree with everything that he just said um, and showing that you're actively participating in that? And I mean, there's all facets of worship that, that we could pick on on this, but think about your worship and not, a, not only just here at the building, but the way you live your life and the way you worship God through your actions and, 
and uh, around your coworkers or uh, school friends or whatever, are you actively um, worshiping God or are you considered dead in, in those things? Because Jesus tells them to wake up. These people who were dead, who were zombies, he tells them, you need to wake up. And when you look up the word wake up um, in, in the Greek, it actually means to be active. And so he's saying, you're these zombie people who are acting dead. You need to be active. And as a church, that's our message. As a church, we need to be active collectively, but also individually, we need to be, make sure that we're active. And I think along this, he's, really his overall message is you need to be, um, make sure that you are acting like the church that you're professing to be. Because, I mean, every church, I mean, just like we read earlier, outwardly they appeared like they were doing all the right things, but inwardly they weren't. So outwardly they were professing to do all these great things. Um, and so basically they needed to, to wake up and be active and actually be doing what they were professing to be doing. And so then after this, um, immediately following his address to the church here at Sardis, Christ pivots and he ch- talks to the church at Philadelphia, this church that was only just down the road, um, Philadelphia, and it was known as se- by several different names. One was Neo Caesarea, Flavia, and Little Athens. It was the town of changing names, and basically they would change their name um, because of whoever was important to them uh, did some some great thing for the town. Neo Caesarea and Flavia, um, Philadelphia was actually built on a fault, and because of that, there were all kinds of earthquakes, just year after year. I mean. You, You can read through history, all the different earthquakes that devastated this city. And so in, uh, it was 17 and 70 AD, they had two massive earthquakes um, that really decimated the town. And two of the uh, emperors, so in 17 AD, um, that was uh, Tiberius, the new Caesar. He donated a lot of money to the town here at Philadelphia so that they could rebuild and so they went by the, the name of Neo-Caesarea Neo for a while. And then in 70 AD, um, Emperor Vespian, he had a wife named Flavia. And so um, in, in their appreciation to Emperor Vespian for donating this incredible amount of money to help rebuild the city, they actually named the city uh, after his wife, Flavia. And so I think, um, and then... Uh, Little Athens, this is the last one. And the first two, that shows how much that they were really worshiping these Roman gods, these Roman emperors. Um, And then Little Athens, Athens, the capital of Greece, really the birthplace of all this Greek god worship like Zeus and all these, uh, the big ones that you've heard of, that all came from Athens. And so they went by Little Athens for a while. um, And that just shows how much they were influenced by these Greek gods there. And so you've got all kinds of emperor worship. You've got all kinds of Greek god worship, um, and it makes it very difficult on the on the church there. There was also uh, this this church was or this city was also known as the gateway to the east. There were some big roads that came through here at Philadelphia that went from Rome and would go even further east, and so it was called the gateway to the east. And so because of that, there were all kinds of people, all kinds of travelers who would come through. Uh, the city here at Philadelphia, and the church here had a great influence on the, on the people because there were so many people, so many uh, travelers coming through that they had a great opportunity uh, to talk with these people. And in Revelations chapter 3, verse 8, Christ addresses the church here. He says, I know your works. Behold, I've set you before an open door. 
And I really think that that open door is just the open border policy of Philadelphia and how many people were coming in and out of this uh, city because of uh, the, uh, the, they were the gateway to the east. He said, I've set you before an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. And so I don't know um, specifically what I, he says, I know that you have but little power. That probably is in, uh, in reference to how, how impoverished they were, how impoverished they were, um, but maybe also into how little of numbers that they had at the, that were attending this church. But regardless, he says, you've kept my word, you've not denied my name. So regardless of all these Roman emperors, regardless of all of the Greek gods that are influencing this town, you've kept my name, you haven't denied me. And it's, it's also really interesting to think, this is one of the churches um, who was, um, like we'll read here in just a second, they were a part of, the, in the city was the synagogue of Satan. And so they were really among one of the most heavily persecuted churches uh, because of where they lived. Just like we read this morning at the church at Smyrna, Smyrna was the church that endured all this tribulation, all this persecution. Christ didn't have anything bad to say about the church at Smyrna. And same way with Philadelphia, one of the churches that endured the most persecution, they were doing what they were supposed to. They were enduring. Christ didn't have anything bad to say about them. So it's really inspirational inspirational to see that to me, to, to show that these churches that were really having a hard time, they kept the faith. They didn't deny Christ's name. Um, in verse 9, Christ says, Behold, I will make the, those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I've loved you. And that's, that's going to be a wake-up call um, you know, just like we referenced earlier at the church at Smyrna, there was a synagogue of Satan who were Jews, but really weren't Jews. They were worshiping emperors and, and the Greek gods, um, but they hated Christians. And so the Christians were persecuted by the synagogue of Satan and the Jews that were there. And Christ's message to them was endure the tribulation, endure the persecution. And at some point, he says, they will learn that I've loved you. At some point, they're going to learn who I am, and they're going to learn that I love you. And, and I think about TV shows where, people, you know, undercover boss or something like that, and, and they go undercover, and then they, at the end, have this um, uncovering, and people get to learn really who this was. I think about Chad Powers, and I don't know if you've seen that yet, but Chad Powers was a walk-on at Penn State, and he went to the walk-on tryouts there at Penn State, and um, he was, I mean, he was awesome. I mean, he had a, a bullet of an arm. He had accuracy. He could throw the football 60 yards. And these coaches are thinking, who is this guy? We've got to sign this guy. This guy's amazing. Come to find out, it was Eli Manning. He was dressed up. He's a Super Bowl winning quarterback. And they were amazed. They were just awestruck at, oh, that makes so much more sense now. And in the same way, or kind of in the same way, Jesus is going to say, they're going to learn who I am. And it's not going to be the same type of amazement as this. It's going to be a scary day when they learn who Christ is. These Jews who have been tormenting and persecuting these Christians, they're going to learn that I've loved you. They're going to learn who I am. And what a, what a faith builder to this church here who was enduring terrible persecution for Christ to tell them, endure the persecution, someday they're going to learn that I love you. And for him to personally say to this church, I love you. 
that would be a faith builder for sure. What a strong and faithful church that was here um, at the church at Philadelphia. And my conclusion this afternoon is going to basically be what Christ said to these two churches. We'll start at the church at, at Sardis. Christ says, remember then what you've received and heard. Repent it, or keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, if you will not be active, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour that I come against you. And, and there's no more serious problem than being stuck in this zombie mode, being stuck in this state of being dead when you're professing to be alive. And so Christ says, wake up, get active, repent, and make sure that you're an active church and an active Christian. He goes on to say in verse 4, still talking to the church at Sardis, he says, yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. And so that's some imagery at the top there where he talks about soiled garments, and, and you can come up with whatever image you want in your mind. For me, I'm going with uh, baseball pants. Uh, some of you with younger kids, you might have some, some different imagery there. Uh, but you think about baseball, and, and if you have dirty clothes or soiled garments at the end of a baseball game, that means that you were in there. You were, you were getting dirty. You were active. Christianity is the opposite. And if you have soiled garments and you're, you're dirty and you're affected by the world, you're not pure. And that's what Christ tells them. He said, there's some of you that are walking in white. There's some of you that are pure, that are keeping the faith. You're doing what you're supposed to, and you need to keep doing that. You need to keep, um, keep that faith up because we're going to see throughout the book of Revelation this white color keep appearing. And white is the symbol of purity and, and the symbol of Christ. And that's what Christ says. If, if you're pure, if you're unstained, if you're walking in white, you're going to be with me one day. And his final message to the church at Philadelphia is just a little bit different. In verse 10, he says, Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. And so it, it, it almost appears here that, that this church is going to be unharmed from this coming persecution. Um, and and I, I don't know if that is specifically what this is talking about, but that's what it appears like to me. And so uh, what an amazing blessing to this church to not have to go through that, to, through everything else that, that all these other churches were going through. Um, and then he, he finishes his message to this church. He says, I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. And that, that phrase, I am coming soon, that's, that, that's, it's touching to me to see that, to, to realize the, the persecution, the endurance that this church was, was going through and, and trying to, to increase in, to hear Christ say, I'll be there shortly. I'm coming. Be there. I'll be there soon. Just hold on to what you have. Um, these people were going through heartache. They were going through this synagogue of Satan. And to hear Jesus directly tell you, I'll be there shortly, would just really help uh, helped, uh, build your faith. I think about car trouble. And at some point, we've all probably had car trouble. Your alternator goes out. Your fuel pump goes out. Your tire blows out, whatever it is. I remember when I was 16, and uh, my fuel pump on this brand new car that I, or not a brand new car, but a, a new car to me, uh, fuel pump went out. Um, I had just gotten it, and I was broken down 30 miles away and didn't know what to do. 
And I called my granddad and he said, I'll be there shortly. And I kind of have that same image in my mind of, of Christ saying, I'll be there shortly. Endure what you need to, but I'm coming and I'm, I'll be there soon. Such comfort in these words to know that help is on the way. And that's what Christ was, was leaving with them in his short address here to the church at Philadelphia. I'll be there soon. And he says, hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The crown is really the end goal. The crown is the eternal life. The, the crown is sitting on the throne um, with Christ one day. And that's what he says. Hold, hold fast to what you have. Don't let anybody take that crown away from you. Um, endure the persecution. Endure what you have to, whatever's coming your way. Um, and I'll be there shortly. And so whether you're dead like the church at Sardis or whether you're alive at the church at, at Philadelphia, um, make sure you're enduring persecution. And that's the message I want to leave you with this afternoon. If you have anything in your life that you feel like you're dead in, that you've got something to work on, and you can get your songbooks out. We're going to offer an invitation song. If you have anything in your life that you're dead in, that you need to work on, that you've identified, or even as you go throughout this week, as you, as you think about what we've, what we've talked about today, if you identify anything that the church can help you with, we'd love to be able to do that for you. Um, the other message is of Jesus is, I'm coming soon. And that's a message that, that is so important to us um, as we think about our Christianity and as we think about professing our Christianity to others. Is Jesus is coming soon. And we need to make sure that we're prepared. We need to make sure that our, our friends and neighbors and family that they're prepared for that as well. And so we're going to offer an invitation at this time. If the church can do anything for you, please come as we stand and sing.